1: Wrote a blog post about it today entitled, Is Cyber Driving the CCO Board Relationship? You want to pick it up from there?
0: Sure, this is Navex's annual benchmarking report. They published it last week, and they had more than 1,300 compliance professionals who responded to the survey, so it's a good, large group.
1: That was Matt Kelly. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, Matt and I take a deep dive into the recently released Navex Compliance Benchmark Survey and consider what it means for the maturity of your compliance program. I know you'll enjoy this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. The award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly for the award-winning Compliance into the Weeds. Matt, welcome back. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, NAVEX released one of their annual reports last week, and they're always of great interest. But you looked at one aspect of the report and wrote a blog post about it today entitled, Is Cyber Driving the CCO Board Relationship? You want to pick it up from there?
0: Sure. So this is NAVX's annual benchmarking report. They published it last week, and they had more than 1,300 compliance professionals who responded to the survey. So it's a good large group, mostly in the U.S. and Europe, but that's fine. That's where most of the large companies are based. There were two big things that jumped out at me right away. Number one was that a majority of these respondents now describe their compliance programs as mature. And that is as defined by the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. They have their framework or their maturity model for ethics and compliance programs. And 53% of respondents said that their program would have qualified as mature according to ECI. That's good news. Great. But before we even get into why cybersecurity is or isn't influencing how the board interacts with compliance i was first interested in okay 53% say the their program is mature what does that really mean and so the navex report had some statistics as well about what happens at these mature programs. So among the 53%, they then dived a little deeper. And these are some of the statistics for those who said their program is mature. Two thirds of them make periodic reports to their board of directors about the compliance program. 55% said that somebody on their board does have compliance experience. 52% 52% said they participate in private sessions with the board or one of the board committees about the compliance program. I assume that means that it is a session with just the compliance person and the board committee, no other senior management present. So that's all good news. But I think, Tom, you know, I had two big questions here about board engagement. Number one, when we talk about that yes, I get to meet with the board or the board committee. What actual committee are we talking about? Because I still, I think that for a lot of businesses, when the compliance officer does meet with the board, that's still actually meeting with the audit committee. The audit committee is overworked. They have a day job handling the audit, which is a lot. And I, my fear is, Is that for a lot of audit committees, they will trot in the compliance officer at the tail end of a two-hour meeting with the auditor or the external audit or the CFO. And then they get to the, the compliance officer and basically are saying, has anybody been subpoenaed? No, you're doing a great job. See you next quarter. That's not productive. Not enough companies yet have a board-level compliance committee. A fair number of Fortune 500 companies do, but once you get outside that group, I think the the group goes the number goes way, way down. So when we say the compliance officer is meeting with the board, I'm still curious, who are they actually meeting with? And then my other question is more, what's actually driving this close collaboration with the board and the CCO? at these mature programs, and I think of it more as a chicken-versus-egg thing. Is it that the compliance function is now doing such a great job providing such strategic advice that the board is now saying, whoa, we, we want to be able to hear this. Let's have the compliance officer come in and meet with us. Is it being driven by the CCO and the compliance function, or is it the other way around? Is it the board now saying, yikes, we have so much compliance risk bearing down on us, so much potentially personal liability as a board director if I'm not taking care, that I now want to make sure the compliance officer is being brought in to tell me what's going on? And even Navex itself says they don't yet know the answer to that question. But this long-winded way of me saying one big theme of the NAVEX report is that a fair number of companies, a majority of respondents here now say they have a mature compliance program that is a healthy relationship with the board. I'm still not exactly sure, though, is it the board pulling the compliance officer along? Or is it the compliance officer demonstrating such great value that the board now wants to see the compliance officer speaking and presenting more often? We don't yet know that. And I'm still unclear on exactly who is the compliance officer meeting with, because I could easily see that it's meeting with the board, but that's really the audit committee. And does that count in a practical and effective way? Because the audit committee, I just think in most instances, won't have enough time to really study and think about ethics and compliance as much as, say, a board-level risk committee or a compliance committee or some other committee like that. That's one big finding. I'll stop right there. But then we do have a lot about cybersecurity we might want to talk about as well.
1: Yeah, I guess let me start with the maturity level. I can't remember when you started uh, sort of covering this Field or this profession, but I've been in this profession. It's 07, and I guess now in 2023, it doesn't surprise me at all that a VAT majority of respondents indicate that they have a mature program. That's 16 years of robust FCPA compliance enforcement by the Department of Justice, as well as other agencies and other laws. And so, uh, that part really does not surprise me at all that we are moving towards. More robust, excuse me, a more mature compliance function, and it's going to really, I think, dovetail into what some of your findings, thoughts, and concerns are around cybersecurity. But as to the second question that you raise around board reporting, I think it's driven by both of the factors you articulated, plus perhaps some other factors. Certainly, the board understands that they have an obligation under Caremark to engage in oversight and to ask some pretty serious questions. Bluebell Ice Cream and Boeing gave us that. But the CCO has long sought to have that type of relationship, and I think every CCO is driving that. And if you want to overlay the Department of Justice, who has said that the CCO has to be able to report to the board, the CCO should have access to all data silos or data lakes For the company, I think the Department of Justice is pointing towards greater CCO visibility to the board. And of course, the Delaware court decision in McDonald's, which created a duty of oversight for corporate officers, are specifically saying the CCO is number two behind the CEO, ahead of internal audit, ahead of CFO, ahead of general counsel, in terms of visibility across the corporation. So we have a confluence of regulatory concerns as well as legal concerns, and sort of practical experience now that boards have to be more involved and the people to involve them more are their chief compliance officers who I hope have been training boards on boards' obligations and in their, in their oversight role as a compliance program. So as to number one, I guess the maturity part doesn't surprise me. Number two, while I would prefer that there be a compliance committee on the board because whether you call it compliance or perhaps risk, and more than simply audit i think there is greater visibility at the board level and and that really doesn't quite surprise me either
0: well interesting i come around to the question of does the board have or need a dedicated compliance committee and i can remember as recently as like say the late 2010s i would still talk with a fair number of board directors or even compliance officers who would say well Probably not. We don't need a dedicated compliance committee on the board because you have to staff that up. There's only so many board directors your company has. And you know how are you going to, are you going to have them overcommitted or are you going to expand the board? And that costs money and you have to recruit them and you need compliance expertise. But you know, a lot of people say in like 2018, we're like, eh, maybe, maybe not. It would be nice, but not necessary. And now I recently, I think Last year, I was revisiting that subject for a column I wrote for the Institute of Internal Auditors, and I was struck by how many people had now said, no, no, the board really needs a dedicated compliance committee. There's too much compliance stuff out there to worry about, and there's also too much audit stuff for the audit committee, enough burying them with more and more work. Uh so, I don't off the top of my head remember exactly how many Fortune five hundred companies have some sort of audit or risk committee these days. It's well into the double digits, but I don't think it's a majority of them, but you know twenty percent, forty percent, something like that. But, you know, one of my good compliance friends, Joel Katz, who I think you probably know, he is compliance and ethics officer at a tech company down in Florida these days, but Joel was one who said, you know, years ago, like, well, I don't know that we need it. And he, when I interviewed him for my IIA column, he had come around to say, no, no, I think that you do. And I still have these questions about when are we going to get not just a mature compliance program, but a mature compliance understanding on the board to be able to help with that mature compliance function. It's not a question that corporate America is gonna to solve today. In fact, anybody listening, if you have any thoughts about does the board really need a dedicated compliance committee or not, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because it still seems to be an evolving thing. But it's definitely, in my observation, evolving toward, yes, the board should have a dedicated compliance committee because there's so many issues specifically related to regulatory compliance that need top-level attention. And actually, Tom, that might even segue into one of those issues needing top level attention, which is not anti-corruption as much as we all might love it. It was actually cybersecurity, that big other big finding I saw from the Navex report.
1: And why don't you go into that? Because I have to say that this does not surprise me either. And it seems like to me to be a logical extension. But you want to set it up?
0: Sure. So. You know, one of the questions that the Navex report asked was, to whom does the compliance function report or where does it reside? Now, the good news is that the top answer was that the compliance function resides unto itself and just reports directly to the CEO or the board, 22% of respondents said that. Now, that's great because I think that the C- the compliance function should be essentially independent. But a close second was that actually the compliance function resides within IT security or privacy. And that was even higher than what I would have normally expected, that it would reside within the legal department. Only 17% of respondents said it was within legal versus 18% who said it was within privacy or cybersecurity. I won't go down tangent here, but I will also point out, 18% also said that the compliance function is split among multiple departments. Tisk tisk. if you are one of those people, because I think that raises some serious questions about the compliance function's roles and responsibilities and clarity thereof. I can't say I like that answer at all, but I'll put aside the, the homeless or the fractured compliance function that doesn't seem to answer into any single function, but- it was interesting to see that IT and cybersecurity are a close second for where compliance resides until you scroll a little further down that Navex study where they asked what compliance events have you suffered within the last three years. And the top event was a privacy or a cybersecurity incident of some kind, cited by 30 percent, as opposed to I have it here on my screen, the more traditional ethics and compliance violations we would think of, like anti-corruption, whistleblower retaliation, some sort of third party risk, that was much lower. That was only around 17 or 19% for that sort of a thing. But cybersecurity was the top, most likely number one compliance violation or headache that your company has suffered. So one could easily see that maybe cybersecurity is what's really driving board engagement here you're more likely to encounter a cybersecurity breach. A cybersecurity breach has real operational threat to your company that as much as I love a good FCPA violation, that doesn't. You know, you're not gonna have your IT systems shut down because you've committed bribery in an emerging market. That could totally happen if you have poor cybersecurity and you have a ransomware attack, you could have your whole business grind to a halt. So cybersecurity is both a compliance and operational risk. I am therefore not terribly surprised that a lot of businesses do have compliance report into cybersecurity. And perhaps that would therefore be guiding the board and saying, oh crap, we really need to be working quite closely with compliance because the board thinks of compliance As cybersecurity, they think of it as privacy, they think of it as vendor risks, they think of it as stolen intellectual property, ransomware attacks that are disrupting our revenue projections, all that sort of stuff. And perhaps then that is why we are going to be, we are, companies are paying much more attention these days to data privacy, cybersecurity. Not necessarily at the expense of anti corruption, but more. You know, that I don't know what the word is. We want to say that privacy and cybersecurity are supplanting FCPA and other bread and butter compliance concerns as the top risk. You know, maybe you could put that argument forward. And I think that matters because it dictates a lot of how a compliance officer would run your program and who you're interacting with. We could talk about that in a moment. But it was just striking to see that cyber is really the bigger, more imminent worry than the bread-and-butter FCPA compliance stuff that we talk about so often.
1: So I guess, Matt, I see this as almost a natural extension from sort of the first part of our discussion around increasing maturity of compliance programs. Because as your compliance programs mature, other risks are going to pop up. And if you have a mature anti-bribery anti-corruption compliance program, it's more likely to detect but more hopefully prevent something from occurring sort of the newest thing is going to be the thing that pops up. That, number one. Number two, uh, the government seems to have dropped off its anti-corruption compliance enforcement, starting with the Trump administration and through the first two years of the Biden administration. But they have ramped up their enforcement around cybersecurity breaches all the way from the New York State Department of Financial Services to the Securities and Exchange Commission. And indeed, I read today the SEC issued Wells Notices to solar winds, and they seem to be looking very closely at this. And as you said, the ubiquity of cyber attacks, uh, cyber security attacks, leading to cyber breaches, I think most companies or many companies have experienced. So it doesn't really surprise me at all that this finding. And you know, 18 months ago we were talking about ESG and compliance. Now we're talking about cyber security and compliance. In 18 months, it may be data privacy and compliance. We've got messaging apps interspersed in all of this. So these communications, these breaches, data and information, I think are going to be more important. And But until, I guess, the foundation we've laid with anti-corruption compliance seems to me to be a broad enough framework that we can put policies and procedures in place, educate on them, monitor them, and improve based upon either information that comes up through monitoring or updated risk assessments, which is multiple steps in a best practice's compliance program.
0: I would say yes and no to some of that. I, in fact, as you were saying, maybe this is a reflection of the maturity of the compliance program. I kind of flippantly, I'm thinking it's more a reflection of the maturity of the risk here is that the ransomware attacks in particular have really Shown How cybersecurity isn't just about, you know, losing data and causing consumer harm and a privacy breach, but real operational threat and disruption that could lead to all sorts of issues. Uh, but, you know, like, say, 18 months ago, why were we talking about ESG? Well, because investors groups like to talk about ESG and the Securities and Exchange Commission was starting to talk more about ESG. But we're talking about cybersecurity because that's the stuff that's actually happening. You know, those are actual attacks that are you know, threatening companies operationally, threatening them with their reputation, threatening them certainly with regulatory enforcement. And yes, the SEC and other agencies are now following along with perhaps new rules about what a good compliance program should do. But at the same time, I think you know if you're faced with your crown jewels of intellectual property being shotgunned across twitter and now you can't develop your new product that's what the board cares about far more than oh and the sec might fine you or you know the justice department might look into your sloppy practices or you know you might be sued by somebody it's more like there's big strategic and operational issues at risk if you have sloppy cybersecurity but i'm also still intrigued on you're absolutely right where you say that People will need to think through their due diligence of third parties, their risk assessments. But how that unfolds when we're thinking about cybersecurity could be very different than how it unfolds when we've been thinking about anti-corruption risks. For example, instead of the compliance officer constantly wondering, am I going to be reporting into the general counsel, you know, like, what if you're reporting into the CISO, which Could happen, which I know does happen at some technology heavy companies where their FCPA risks might be relatively low, especially if they don't do business overseas or they don't do business with government customers. You know, but if the CISO considers him or herself to be the top compliance person and at many companies they do. That's going to wind up setting up a very different sort of dynamic than I think some compliance officers might be expecting. Uh, the Even something as simple as what your due diligence process is for a third party, if you're looking at their cybersecurity as opposed to corruption risk, very different set of questions. You know, there are going to be other sort of frameworks that you could use to provide assurance, like there is a SOC 2 audit that you could provide a customer to show your cybersecurity bona fides. I don't necessarily know that we have anything roughly equivalent to that in the FCPA context. So I'm not saying that we're going to have to reinvent the wheels, but it's going to be a very different looking wheel if this is what is driving a lot of concern at the board and concern among senior management, when they say compliance, and they're really thinking privacy and cybersecurity. They're not wrong. It's a big concern. It's a concern for a large number of companies, probably much more than those worried about FCPA risk. But how that actually looks and feels and works on a daily basis at a company, that I think, you know, that's going to be a different experience for a lot of compliance officers, I think. And I'll be curious to see how it goes.
1: Well, it seems like a great place for us to end, Matt.
0: Thank you very much, Tom.
1: This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weed. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog post for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast podcast. Uh, with Richard Blundell on Sustainability, The Business Opportunity of the 21st Century, Fox on Podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting, and Compliance and AI. We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.